Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show, everyone. Hope you are having a great day. You know I've got to do it. Special shout out to Yoshiko Dart. Wow, this year is really special. This is the 30th anniversary of the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And certainly Yoshiko and her late husband, Justin, were very involved in bringing that to fruition. And you know, you're going to hear me talk about that 30th anniversary of the signing of the ADA all the time. But that's because we got to get ready. July 26, got to get ready. Also, I have to tell you, wow, China, who knew you would get in first place for the largest number of listeners to this show? How awesome is that? You know what? Tell everyone. Tell everyone so that we get more people listening to the show in China. And I just got to say, kudos to you for what you're doing there. And my sponsors, I must thank them. I've got to thank Highmark for being the lead sponsor for four years. Four years. Our new sponsor for the entire year is People's Natural Gas. And I'll tell you what, Morgan O'Brien, CEO, has been phenomenal. Thank you to Morgan. And Employment Options, our new um, sponsor for the beginning of the year, thank you also very much. Well, I'm very excited, very excited about our show today because it actually is about my company, Bender Consulting Services, which as you know, not very often we talk about Bender Consulting Services, but I think this is important to talk to candidates about, you know, what it takes to get a job, how to work with Bender. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And you know what? My favorite person, Gerald Homey, our senior recruiter and product manager of careers to be and chair of the Bender lead on team. See how many things he does. He also plays jazz. How about that? He is multi-talented and he, He's part of the success of this company. Gerald, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show, Joyce. Okay, so you're going to get out the sax and play us a tune. Other than, (laughs) by the way, the music you hear introducing the show and it breaks was composed by Gerald. How about that? Isn't that awesome? Uh, Well, Gerald... Let's start by you telling everyone what you do at Bender Consulting Services and a little about your disability. Okay. So I've worked for Bender now for 13 years, um, and I head up the... Uh, a lot of the work that we do with the private sector from a recruitment standpoint. So a lot of the large corporations we work with across America, uh, when we get opportunities that we get to fill with candidates with disabilities, I help direct the team to go find great candidates to fill those roles. I also serve as our careers-to-be product manager, where I head up that uh, opportunity that we have with careers-to-be to 
take into the workforce uh, individuals with disabilities that do not currently have experience. So this is a great one-year program that allows individuals with disabilities without experience to gain a year of experience and then move into a long-term role with that year of experience, which we have a now 99% success rate of folks moving into that, uh, once completing that program, moving into a long-term role and nearing 150 folks through that program by itself since its inception in 2007. Um, I also head up a lot of uh, work with our iDisability uh, e-learning product from a technology standpoint, ensuring that it uh, works in an accessible manner and in designing it from a technical standpoint. And also am involved from our digital accessibility side of our business in document accessibility. Uh, just last week, uh, I got the chance to deliver a, a webinar through our partnership with the FISA Foundation, which we had Christy Troutman on the show a few weeks ago, and uh, was got to share a little bit of knowledge to uh, philanthropy on document accessibility. And, you know, all these things are things that I'm very passionate about because of my disability. I have uh, learning disabilities. I have dysgraphia and uh, dyslexia. And uh, most people are familiar with dyslexia or when you're reading, things get kind of mixed up in the reading process. Um, and with dysgraphia, it's similarly related, uh, and it mostly impacts writing. So one of the best ways I've heard this explained is that, you know, if you have one of these, your brain categorizes written language in a different way than it categorizes the rest of language. So your brain has to go through kind of some extra hoops to connect the dots between written language and uh, spoken language or auditory language. And for me, that severely impacts my ability to be expressive when I'm writing because I'm much more focused on the physical act of writing. So, you know, it takes an immense amount of focus, an immense amount of time, and is immensely inefficient. So I use, you know, uh, different ways of accommodating that. Um, I was diagnosed in the fourth grade, and they started trying to teach curses to kids, and... Um, you know, has definitely made an impact on my life because, you know, when we're talking about accessibility, a lot of people in the digital accessibility space think first of folks from a standpoint of those who are blind and use screen readers, but it in fact packs folks like myself who use uh, other types of adaptive software or people who use adaptive hardware to interact with technology as well. So, you know, that's a little bit about kind of what I'm doing here at Bender and uh, what my disability is. And why I'm glad you went over that, Gerald, is if you're listening to this show right now, remember, I live with epilepsy and I'm hard of hearing. You know, Gerald lives with these learning disabilities. So we get it. You know, we get it. This isn't as if you apply to a company that don't know anything about disability. We are in the disability community. And thank you for going over that. As a matter of fact, Gerald, um, do you even think people realize that a learning disability is covered under the ADA? 
Also, do you think people would ever dream there's technology for that disability? Well, I definitely don't think enough people do um, realize that it's covered under the ADA. I hear from a lot of people that, you know, have learning disabilities that are um, applying they're, that they're concerned when they're coming to us that they don't have a real disability, that it doesn't count, that, you know, they're not, quote, unquote, disabled enough to, you know, be considered for these opportunities. And I am constantly explaining, you know, that, you know, that that disability definitely does count and it's something that does impact your daily life, maybe not in the same manner that, you know, being blind does or uh, having a psychiatric disability does, which is another one that people don't think counts sometimes, but it definitely is an impact on how you navigate through things on a daily basis. And, you know, I have to explain to them that and that, you know, it's okay because, you know, the mission of what we're doing here at Bender is about taking folks who have great talent and making sure their talent is recognized and being utilized in the workforce. And, you know, that these are groups of people that are underrepresented in the, in the workforce because of it. Um, so that is something that, you know, a lot of people, it becomes hard to understand that you do have the disability sometimes when it's a hidden disability, but it's still something that's real. Um, I think once people kind of start to realize that, they start to notice more the ways it impacts their life. And the more you self-identify, the more that you uh, accept that, the more you can understand how to accommodate it and how it's a strength in certain situations. Like for me, uh, one of the biggest difficulties I had on my learn uh, on my you know, path to finding the right accommodations for my disability in school was that it was incredibly difficult for me to take notes in class because the act of writing is so, you know, demanding, um, either written or even typing. It's still much more focused on the physical movement of doing it uh, that, you know, if I'm taking notes, I'm not listening. So every time I would stop to write something down, I would miss something else important in the lecture. So I became, I just naturally developed from not being able to do that a, a very good ability to memorize things and to listen intently uh, to lessons and retain information from those lessons and then apply it by doing homework and things like that to really solidify it in my mind. It allowed me to build up a you know, really strong memory, which I think has served me well, uh, you know, through a lot of my life. Um, and, you know, also that uh, realization of this doesn't work has led me down the path to different things that I can do to accommodate, accommodate my disability. Um, you know, I just had a discussion with somebody else who I met, uh, who we actually met at Highmark, so one of the companies we're partnering with an employee there, and we kind of bonded over the fact that we both have dyslexia. And I was talking to her about uh, Dragon Naturally Speaking, which is a tool that I only recently in the past few years started using because I heard of other folks using it as an accommodation. 
and it has completely revolutionized my ability to write because I can now, uh, with Dragon Naturally Naturally Speaking, I can dictate to my computer. So I can dictate what I want to write, and that completely removes that expression barrier that I had with the physical act of writing. So I'm finding myself able to be more expressive in my writing than I've ever been, which is just incredible. Um, at the same time, you know, with on the dyslexia side of things, you know, I can have Dragon read content to me on, my, on the screen, and that will allow me to use that, you know, focus, retain knowledge that I've built up and it more effectively bring in content instead of trying to slow down the process of reading that content. So this is a tool that I think a lot of people with dyslexia or dysgraphia doesn't know that this is a tool that can impact how they, you know, interact with technology. You know, I know many people that, you know, will use the voice dictation for text messaging because it's easier than writing it out, you know, for their learning disability. And that's what I was doing, and that was how I discovered that, hey, maybe there's something I should do on the computer. And it's been incredible. So if you're listening and you haven't tried that out and you have this uh, learning disability that affects your reading or writing skills, definitely look into that product. Yeah, I mean, I think that is so important. Um, and, of course, at the top of the list is gaining employment. Uh, Gerald, our talent program recruiting services, could you do two things? Explain what that is, uh, and then what areas do you work in, and how do you apply for a job with Bender? Sure. So our recruiting services is something that we offer to employers. So Bender as a company, our job is to help employers engage in the best practices when it comes to including disability in their organization. And where rubber meets the road for inclusion is hiring. You got to be to really be inclusive, you've got to be hiring people with disabilities. So how we help organizations hire people with disabilities is they hire us to recruit candidates to fill their roles. So many people hear that, you know, Bender can help you gain employment as a person with a disability. And that is true, but it's not that we're going out for every single candidate applying to us and, you know, trying to find a job for them. Employers are coming to us with roles that they want to fill uh, with candidates with disabilities in professional roles in IT, finance, accounting, engineering, law, um, mathematics, uh, all these different exciting fields. So, and we'll go out and take the role of a recruiting firm and narrow down the talent pool to uh, one or two top-tier candidates for that company to interview and pick from. We just only send candidates with disabilities as we're sending candidates to them. So, you know, when candidates are applying to us, we're really trying to get a really strong understanding of what type of roles are a great fit for them. Uh, We do vet candidates, so, you know, make sure that candidates are, you know, professional and going to be a great representative of the disability community and a vendor in a role. 
Um, so, you know, when we interview candidates, we're looking to who's going to be that top pick that we're going to want to present for this job that we're trying to fill. Um, so, if you are interested in a professional career somewhere in corporate America or the federal government, you know, or, you know, Bender's a great place for you to access opportunities that are specifically for individuals with disabilities <laughs> organizations that want to be inclusive. Uh, so what you can just do is go to Bender's website and you can apply on there and we capture, you know, your information about your career search from your application. And the first place we look when we have opportunities are the candidates that have already approached us that are looking for work to see if they are our are candidates within that network that are a fit for the opportunities that we're trying to fill. Uh, and from there, if we don't find a candidate, we'll then do outreach to our community partners to refer candidates to us. But, you know, that starting point of applying on our website, just providing us with your resume and information about your career search helps us have you flagged so that way if there's a job opening that matches what you want to do and what you're qualified for, then you'll be on our list to do outreach to, to interview and screen to see if you're going to be a good fit for that role. Yeah, and I think that's very important that you understand what we do. So we're not like a temp firm or like an employment agency where you actually pay a fee. You know, we are working for the customer we look for people with disabilities to fit that position. We never just market people to a company, send like mass resumes to a company because those people wouldn't get a job. It has to be a match. And at Bender, which is how I would say we're different than an employment agency, Gerald, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, you know, one of the biggest differences is although we are, you know, a for-profit company with what we are doing, we're doing this because we are advocates and we want people with disabilities to have the opportunity to work. We just feel that the the best way to do that is to do it from a competitive standpoint because this is not about pity. This is not about giving a person with a disability a handout. This is about recognizing the skill and talent that exists within the disability community and how hiring people with disabilities will positively impact your bottom line. So, you know, we very much care about the individuals that we place into our roles. So if you're somebody who we place with our customer, you know, we're going to be, you know, in contact with you to make sure your career is successful at that company. We want you not just only to get that job, but to move up within the organization, become a manager, and then hire more people with disabilities because you'll be in that position to help be an advocate and make that change as well. And, you know, we would love to help every candidate that comes to us for opportunities. Um, that requires a lot more organizations to want to come work with us and embrace hiring people with disabilities. But we, we know we truly care about the applicants that are coming into us. And, you know, 
if we have an opportunity that aligns with you, we're going to reach out to you to tell you about it and make sure it's a good fit. And, you know, if it's not a good fit, we're going to tell you why we don't think, you know, it's the right fit for you and, you know, what if you're wondering what is the right fit for me as a candidate, you know, maybe you're unsure because you haven't gained a lot of experience, you know, in our process, we'll have conversations with you about that as well. So, you know, we just, you know, are, are advocates through and through here in our organization and understand that this model is a way to really impact change in a positive way. Yeah. And, and I, it is just so exciting to me. Uh, and, Gerald, we've talked about this many times, and I tell all the high school students with disabilities that I teach how important this is to gain employment. Uh, but how, how do you think a candidate should be prepared for an interview? Well, first, I'd like to add to, to that that if you get a phone interview, that's an interview. Uh, many people, uh, you know, won't take a phone interview seriously because they don't consider it a real interview, but the company you're interviewing with does consider it a real interview. So if you aren't taking that seriously, start taking that seriously um, and prepare for it just like you would for a in-person interview. And that involves... Uh, you know, taking time and doing research such as looking up the organization that you're interviewing with, making sure you understand what they do. If you know what department within the organization you're going to be interviewing with, trying to find out what that department does so that you get a better understanding of, you know, the role itself and doing that type of research because everyone asks you and you go in an interview, what do you know about us? And if your answer is nothing, they're already like, oh, this person doesn't care about this. So, you know, you want to make sure you do that. Uh, practice talking about yourself. Practice talking about your skills, your experience, your education, and relating that information to the position you're interviewing itself. One of the recommendations I always give people that are going on an interview with one of our customers is to put your resume and your job description side by side. Go for every single item in your resume and ask yourself the question, why does this make me a fit for this job? And answer that question because that allows you to go through an exercise that will get you to relate everything that employer is looking at about you on that resume to the job that you're interviewing for. Once again, if you're interviewing over the phone, you want to take that seriously, and that means ensuring that you're conducting the phone interview in an environment where you're going to be able to focus and deliver well on that interview. So don't do it in a public place where there's you know, a lot of background noise and people moving around, you want to be in a quiet place where you can focus on the interview. So you don't want distractions in front of you that will, you know, take your attention away from that interview. You want to make sure you build yourself an environment to conduct that interview in a way that you're going to be able to perform to your best. And for an in-person interview, Make sure you're preparing your appearance because you only get one chance to make that first impression. 
and practice what you want to say when you make that first impression. So that way you can really take control of what that first impression is going to be and making sure it's a positive one. Um, you know, there's a ton of interview questions out there that you can practice, and you know, a lot of people get nervous about this and think they have to memorize answers to every question in the world. But really, what you need to do is you need to just practice the art of answering interview questions. So that way, you're very comfortable just answering questions about you and your background and interview type questions. So that way, no matter what question they ask you, you're just comfortable answering questions and will be able to you know, do so effectively. Prepare questions you might want to ask. You know, make sure you understand all the logistics so nothing goes wrong getting to the interview. These are all things you can do. We actually have, if you look on our blog on the Bender website, we have some information out there on how to prepare an inter- for an interview. So, you know, if you're listening to this and jotting notes down and really want to make sure you're knocking interviews out of the park, I would recommend reading that on the Bender website and, uh, you know, to pick up a little bit more in detail about some of the things I'm talking about today. Yeah, and Gerald, I'm so glad you brought up the phone interview because, folks, you know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. 90% of the interviews today, they first talk to you by phone. Uh, and, you know, when Gerald's talking about this, being in a quiet place, you have to make sure you're in a quiet place. You have to make sure the phone is charged. You know, you don't want to be somewhere where the dogs are barking and everything is going on, nor do you want to lose power while you're talking. And if someone calls you, don't answer and put that person on hold. There's the kiss of death. You would not get hired. And Gerald talked about preparation, so important, um, finding out where the company is ahead of time. Uh, And Gerald, what happens if you're late for an interview and is it different if it's in person or on phone? Not really. I mean, if you're late in, for the interview, chances are you've already lost out on that opportunity. Uh, because if you are late for the interview, then, you know, why would I expect you to do that? You're going to be a good employee and be on time when I hire you. And honestly, it's even worse for the phone interview because how hard is it to just answer your phone on time? Like, it's the easiest thing in the world. So, you know, I have this happen a lot where someone will be uh, not answering the phone at the time of the interview and will have to call back later for whatever reason. So, I mean, that's just so unprofessional, and it really speaks negatively to you, you know, I have many companies just as soon as someone doesn't show up for an interview or is late, they're just out. It doesn't matter how skilled they are. They could be the best at their job. It doesn't matter because they want someone who they can count on. Right. And, Gerald, um, you know, if someone you, – you were talking about being late. If someone – if you would call them and they were late for the interview and then they were late again for the interview – would you really want to talk to them? No, definitely not. And, you know, we're here at Bender, we can be pretty forgiving. You know, things come up and we understand that. We tell them that, you know, a lot of times 
big companies aren't going to be that way when you're looking for a job. Um, but you know, if you miss it twice, you know, you're you're definitely done. And and by the way, what makes you think the person is going to be available? What if someone calls you for an interview, such as Gerald, and the next day he's doing a presentation out of the office with a customer all day, cannot take calls. Because obviously he would have to sit down, have an hour set aside to talk to you, and then he goes on vacation. Now, the same thing could happen at a company. A company calls you, let me tell you, if they call you and you're not available, you're not going to get the second chance. And by the time you would get back to them, the job is filled. So I've just got to tell you, you must be prepared. And if you call Gerald and he says, what do we do at Bender Consulting? And you say, I don't know, you're out. And do you know why? No initiative. Someone with initiative would find that out ahead of time before they talk to Gerald. And Gerald, when we do find a really good candidate, and oh, the company's really interested. We know prior to even sending them, we check references. I want to know how important is it that they have references and how important is it that they get those to you quickly? I'm glad you brought this up because this is something people forget about all the time um, or just handle incorrectly. See, some people, they have... um, some anxiety around reaching out to people they haven't maybe haven't talked to in a while from their work history or their education and getting references. So sometimes people will do things like list people without asking for permission and then we'll contact references and get bad references or we'll contact references and they will be unwilling to provide a reference. And really it just slows down the process. So, you know, if, I'm unable to quickly complete references for a candidate that is applied to us. Like I said, we only send one to two top-tier candidates to our customer for a job. Another candidate that has their references together on the ball and has let them know that someone's going to be reaching out and contacting them to do a reference check, and we're able to complete them quickly, they're going to get presented to that customer to that company for that role before you. So they get the first shot at the interview instead of you. And if they interview well, you may never get that opportunity to interview for that role. And this is one of the number one things that can slow down a process for an employer because nobody wants to hire someone without checking references. So, you know, those are incredibly important and very often overlooked. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Gerald gets these openings where they tell us we're going to be filling these quickly. So we send more than one person. However, if the other person gets the references to us right away and you don't, you're not going to get the job. And if you take forever getting them, then we're thinking, what's wrong with this person? Uh, You know, are they lazy? Do they have bad references? And what Gerald said before Ask first. Go to the person and say, may I use you for a reference? Do you know that when I was teaching a class of high school students with disabilities, that the teacher said, if I would get a call, even though I love these students, if I would get a call for a reference, but they never ask me, 
I would not want to give them a reference. And if you don't ask them, as Gerald said, Gerald could call them and they could say, oh, well, I didn't know. That person never gave me as a reference. Didn't I mean, never told me I would be a reference and then give a bad reference. So you should go to everyone and say, I would like to use your you as a reference. Is that all right? Do you feel comfortable giving me a good reference? And if they say to you, oh, I don't like to give references, that's okay. Just say that's okay. But make sure you have the phone number and email. And you have that for Gerald on the sheet and email it to him with everything right from the beginning. Um, So I just want to tell you that is very important i know gerald's told me times i have this great candidate but you know they're not getting the references and you know then all of a sudden you don't seem like a great candidate and gerald just so you all know gerald's interviewed hundreds of people over these past seven years so many people for jobs that gerald knows this strike zone what it takes to get a job. So you, Gerald, personally, what do you look for in a candidate? Well, there's a couple of things. Number one, I look for, like you said, initiative. I look for people that uh, make the effort to do the right thing when looking for a job without having to be told what to do. Um, Timeliness in responding to communication is a big thing. You know, if I'm trying to call you about an opportunity and it takes you a week to call me back, then I'm not going to think that you take that opportunity seriously. Um, A positive attitude is immensely important. You know, somebody who is just positive and makes me want to go to bat for them for an opportunity. And, And, you know... That goes a really long way. Somebody that I feel like when I hire them into a role, they're going to make a really great impression because they're so positive. People are going to, you know, want to be around them. They're going to show what people with disabilities are capable of. You know, that's so important to me because, you know, we're looking for little civil rights advocates, really. You know, whether you're trying to, you know, outwardly go out and advocate for people with disabilities or not, just by being an amazing example, you are. You're impacting people's viewpoint of what people with disabilities are and removing misnomers. So if I send a candidate that has a bad attitude or isn't timely in returning phone calls or returning contact or doesn't show up for things or doesn't do what needs to be done, that's showing that that's what people with disabilities do. So, you know, unfortunately, that's the truth of how it goes is, you know, the one person, their interaction is, you know, painting the floor of the community. So it's my job to make sure that that is a positive thing. Yeah. And remember what Gerald said in the beginning? Well, first of all, if the person is late for the interview... You know, this is uh, a strike against you, a big one, unless you have an incredible reason that you can provide. And you know what? If something like that would happen, you should call and tell Gerald, my car broke down or there's a horrific accident and let him know ahead of time. You can't just let him be here waiting and then you come in late for the interview. Gerald also mentioned 
about the appearance. Oh, that is so important. Do you know every time someone has come in here, you know, with a suit or a tie and a jacket, dressed very professionally, do you know every time Gerald has come out to me and said, wow, this person's really sharp? Every time. Every time. Remember what he said at the beginning, one chance only. One chance to make a first impression. Now, if you go on the interview and you are clean, this isn't going to work. You've got to be dressed properly. And Gerald, you know something else I want you to talk about? Having the phone with you on the interview. Is that a good idea? <laughs> no. Um, I always tell people, if you're going on in an interview, just leave your phone out in the car. Or if you're taking public transportation, put it in your bag or something and make sure it's either completely turned off or completely on silent. No notifications, nothing. Um, you know, first of all, we've seen people do this. It's rare, but we've seen people, you know, look at their phone to check for, you know, a notification or take a call in an interview. And, you know, we've seen that happen, and those people just immediately are ruled out. You know, I've seen people just end interviews at that moment because of that, because they're just, like, done with the person. Um, but even if you just have it on vibrate, and a lot of people do this, oh, it's fine. I don't want to not have my phone on me, so I'm just going to put it on vibrate and have it in my pocket. But then you're answering a crucial question in that interview, and all of a sudden someone calls you and your leg starts vibrating, and it's distracting you from answering that question effectively. Just enough that you mess up and you are distracted. You know, you don't want the things you could control to cause problems with your ability to interview. So it's better just to not leave it there, um, especially if, you know, it's going to ring in the interview that that's going to look bad. You weren't prepared enough to turn off your phone. You know, it's the typical thing you would do. So, you know, if you can leave it in your car, do that. If you're taking public transportation or something, you know, make sure it's completely turned off and put away so it's not a problem during the interview. Oh, that is so true. And by the way, if it vibrates, guess what? You're going to look down. I don't care what you think. You're going to look down for a second, whether it's your pocket, your your uh, briefcase, whatever it is you have with you, and they are going to notice. They will notice. So don't even take it. Don't take it. Uh, just go in without it. And, Gerald, how early should they be for an interview? I usually recommend that you walk into the building when you're interviewing, like, 20 to 30 minutes early. Um, any more than that, and you can kind of seem a little bit odd going incredibly early to an interview. But what you want to make sure is you get yourself enough time to get into the building and then get to wherever the interview is happening. See, a lot of people don't realize that there's security processes that people have to go through to enter a building. And you don't have any control over how long the line of the security desk is. I remember I had somebody go to an interview at a company that we work with, and when they got there, there was an entire school bus of kids that were arriving for an event at that workplace. And they, all those kids 
had to individually get security badges made for them to enter the building, and they were all in line in front of this person. And as you can imagine, it was not easy to keep these kids in line and organized to go through the process of getting their badges. So it severely delayed their ability to get through the you know, the badging process. They were there five minutes early, but ended up being about 10 minutes late for their interview. So it really, you know, negatively impacted them. And to that person upstairs, you know, you can say, oh, there was a long line of security, but to them, you're still late. You know, there's going to be a long line sometimes when you get to work, work in the morning. That doesn't change, you know, what's happening. So it's up to you. What I usually recommend people do is find somewhere nearby the workplace that you can get to and spend some time there before the interview. So, you know, there may be a coffee shop nearby where the interview is taking place. You know, get to that coffee shop an hour early so you're just a block or a short, very short drive away from the interview. And then when it comes time to, you know, that 45 to 30 minutes, you know, drive over to or walk over to the interview and then um, go in from there. So that way you have a plenty of time for things to go wrong uh, with traffic and things like that. You can plan to work around that, but you also aren't arriving in a very significant amount of time early. So that gives you a place to relax, get in the right mindset for your interview. For some people, that might be reviewing, you know, some more questions to prepare. And it might be, you know, listening to your favorite jams to shake off the nerves. Whatever it is, it's going to help you get yourself ready for that interview. Yeah, because I'm going to tell you something. Here's what's going to happen. It snows. Or any day, any day you go on the interview, any day something can happen. Something can happen. Now, I tell some of my employees or candidates you better leave like maybe an hour and a half early. It, better to be there. As Gerald said, park the car, go to Starbucks, go to uh, wherever, whatever coffee shop, you know, sit down, review everything, relax, make sure that you are prepared for the interview. But prepared means early. Don't go in that early, but go in at least half an hour early because of what Gerald told you earlier. I've seen this at so many companies where you're standing in line uh, at the security desk, you know, where the, uh, where you give them your name. And you know what? If you're late, you're late. If you go upstairs and say, oh, there was a big line, they're going to think, then why weren't you earlier? So, you know, really get that time right when you go on the interview and really have yourself together when you go on that uh, that interview. And Gerald, you know, you deal with a lot of candidates and, they have, you know, we've interviewed them. We're sent them to a company. How important is it to you that you know what's going on with them outside? In other words, interviewing another company, sending a resume to another company, maybe a potential job offer coming, maybe a vacation coming, all of a sudden changing your mind. How important is that that you know those things? Oh, it's, it's incredibly important. So I, 
always tell candidates that, you know, this is a, you know, a partnership that we're building between me and you. So if you're a candidate that I'm helping go find an opportunity, someone that we go, okay, you're a great candidate. We want to promote you to a company for a job and get you that opportunity. You know, I'm going to be spending a lot of time and energy helping you with that. And, you know, information is can be really critical in um, helping conclude these things. So, for example, if you are interviewing other places, which is ter- perfectly, you know, normal when you're looking for opportunities and you think, oh, there's an opportunity that, you know, might turn into an offer here, you should give me a call and tell me about it because, you know, I might be able to go to the company that you interviewed with through us that maybe is your first choice of the place you want to to get the job and say, hey, you know, this person's interviewing elsewhere. You may want to move quickly on this candidate if you really like them. And that might urge them to move faster in the process to bring you an opportunity that you wouldn't have gotten if you just, you know, kind of just let the course run. And then you'd end up with the uh, lesser position instead. Um, Also, you know, it really just helps me understand, you know, what's going on with your career. So that way I'm not pushing you down things that don't match up with your interests as you're identifying roles that you're interviewing for, learning about different pieces of different jobs you've gone on interviews with that, you know, excite you about jobs. So that way if there's something else that lines up with those types of things, it's uh, really helpful for me to learn that. Um, So that way we're considering all the right options for you. And then also, the companies you're interviewing me with might be ones that we have a relationship with, and we can tell some of the people that are higher level within that organization, we can put in a great word for you and help you, you know, potentially secure an opportunity there. Uh, so, you know, that open conversation is really important. You know, I'm always very open with the information I share about what opportunities we can and can't promote somebody for and you know, look for that open communication between the two of us about what's happening with the job search. So that way we're both uh, doing things in the most effective way for for you to find an opportunity. And, you know, it, here, here are some examples that Gerald deals with. Let's say Gerald talks to you about XYZ company. Um, are you interested? Oh, yes, yes. And Gerald goes through everything, references everything. And then you tell him at the last minute, oh, by the way, I already sent my resume there. Or if in between, after he talks to you, let's say Gerald said, I'm looking for something really great. Uh, we're looking, looking. And along the way, you find out about this position at another company. And when Gerald calls you and says, hey, what about this company? Oh, you know what? I forgot to tell you that I sent a resume there. Now, here's what you should do. Hi, Gerald. I'm calling to tell you I heard about an opportunity at this company. Do you work with them? I wanted to work with you first. And may I tell you, you'll have a better chance of getting in. Gerald, what do you think about that? Oh, yeah, because when you apply on your own, so I think the average is somewhere around 300 applicants per online submission for a role. So you're just one in, in hundreds of people that have applied for that same job. Most of those people aren't even going to get their resume looked at for that job. So 
when you're going through Bender, though, we have a relationship with these companies with, you know, a lot of hiring managers there, but also with um, the recruiters there. And we're able to, through our channels, submit your resume and pretty much guarantee that it's going to get reviewed by a human to determine if it's a fit. So not just one of those automated keyword searches that rules out a certain percentage of people that apply to make it easier for people to uh, review resumes internally, but an actual person reading your resume and then getting feedback to us to say this person's a fit or they're not a fit. Because most of the time, if you don't get picked for a job, you just get not selected. You don't get any feedback as to why you weren't selected or to what's going on. So you don't know that, you know, there's changes that can be made to your resume that would have made you more viable for that role and applying to it. You don't know that, uh, you know, all this information. And when we get that information, if there is something that is, you know, missed out on, we have the opportunity to clarify that because we have a conversation with the people in that organization. So if they say, oh, you know, this person's really not a, a Java developer, we go, well, well, hold on a minute. You know, look at all these experiences. Maybe you missed this where they, you know, utilize object-oriented programming. That's where we're talking about the Java usage. So, you know, there's an opportunity for that to, you know, give candidates more visibility and more opportunity to be considered in that role. Um, yeah, and and I can't begin to tell you how important that is. As Gerald said, we have direct contracts with companies where a hiring manager will call and say, oh, I'm looking for this. We send the person, they get interviewed, they get hired. Whereas we can't get involved. If you've already sent the resume, we can't get involved. Then you're one out of hundreds with uh, a computer that has artificial intelligence screening resumes. So just remember that. That is very important. Gerald, what if you interview a candidate for a job and I tell you, oh, yeah, Gerald, I'd accept 40000 for this job. What happens when you call them and suddenly they've changed their mind? Um, it's very frustrating because, you know, from us as a recruiting company, you know, for the most part, we want our candidates we're placing to make as much money as possible, right? Because, you know, a lot of the times with how this works in this business is, you know, if you make more money, we also make more money, so it's better. We're on your side with, with that for sure. Um, but we also have a good understanding because of our relationship with our com customers what is viable for compensation for that opportunity. So if we have a direct conversation with you to get an understanding of the compensation you're open to, you know, we're expecting that that's what you're going to be open to. So if we go through all the way through that process of getting that job and you change your mind about that, um, it can cost us being able to get you that opportunity. Um, and if you were more upfront with what you were open to in the beginning, that would be great. But also, a lot of people think, you know, that just by default, when I get a job opportunity, that I should negotiate for a better salary, right? People think that that's the default of what they should be doing. And that's really not the case. 
because any time you try to do a negotiation, whether that be for a new car or whatever you're going to negotiate about, when you start to negotiate, you're putting yourself in a position of weakness, um, and you need to be able to, you know, have something to to really bring to the table for that negotiation. So, for example, if you're an entry-level candidate looking for a role that, you know, there's tons of other people that are viable candidates for that opportunity that could be hired, you know, you don't really have much to offer from a negotiation standpoint as to why they should go with you over the other candidates in that situation. And, you know, I've seen people, you know, go get a job offer. We just, you know, talked to somebody recently who received a job offer for something in a very high-paying salary role, and they tried to negotiate some changes around some of the logistics for the position on, you know, start date and things like that. And as soon as they started to negotiate, the company just rescinded the offer and went with a secondary candidate. And that See? person lost out on that great role. Because, yeah, I know. Terrible. Yeah. That is terrible. Well, I know that we are soon coming to the end of the show. Um, before I ask Gerald to give a final message, I want to say, remember, applying www.benderconsult.com. Apply today. Gerald. What message do you have for our listeners? None of the things we talked about today matters if you are not kind. You have to show kindness to everyone you are involved with through the interview process. That's the security guard. That's the secretary to that. It's the scheduler for the interview. Every single person you interact with, show kindness. When you are kind to people, not only will they want to hire you, but they will want to go to bat for you to see you get that opportunity. So make sure, no matter what, you're always kind. Oh, and you know what? Kindness always wins. Gerald, that is such a great message. And we end every show with a quote. And today it has to be, because of what we're talking about, work gives us dignity, said Tony Quello. What a great quote, how this applies today. And I will look forward to talking to you next week when we have as our guest, Craig Rafford. Talk to you then. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are the leader in live Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.